Potty Partners. Uh, welcome to Rhapsody and Reverie, a show where music and storytelling go hand in hand. I'm your ghostest hostess with the mostest, Adrian. And I'm your exorcist cowboy fever dream, Katerina. And boy howdy, do we have a fun episode for you guys, gang. But when don't we? It's a fun one because it's an extension of an episode we've already done before. Indeed, indeed. As you may remember, our last episode was about the song I Don't Belong Here by Cat Clyde. And Adrian and I had so much fun telling the story of this wonderful cowboy exorcist and his poltergeist who just couldn't leave him alone, that we were not tempted so much as enticed to continue telling the story and perhaps elaborate more on these beloved characters that are now very near and dear to both of our hearts. We are continuing the story of these two characters, and we are continuing it with a song called Willow by Taylor Swift. Who who you may or may not be familiar with, you know, Maybe. this lesser known indie artist who's <laughs> really coming up lately. Uh, her, her most recent album, Evermore, seemed to strike a chord with many people. I hope one day she'll make it. She'll make it. <laughs> She's really got something there. Yeah. Moxie. She's got... <laughs> She's got Moxie, they say. Yeah. You know, it's her music's just the bee's knees. But but no. Uh, Evermore was the surprise album of the year, I think it's safe to say. The second uh, surprise album of the year. The second. You're right. I very much resisted listening to both of those records for no reason other than I just didn't feel like it. But Adrienne was very insistent over a period of, I think, about two months. She was begging me, like, just please give them a shot. Please listen to them. You'll like please. them. Yeah. <laughs> please. Please. And lo and behold, I did like them. They warmed my cold, dead heart. I actually very much enjoyed them, especially the song that we will be discussing today, Willow. I was, I was very surprised and pleased. But, uh, but what was your reaction to Willow and Evermore. As Katarina mentioned, I was kind of on her about listening to Folklore and subsequently Evermore because those two records were like my favorite records that came out in 2020, like hands down. I thought they were great and fantastic. And when I heard Willow for the first time, it was when I sat down to listen to Evermore because it's the first song on the album. And I loved it. And... The thing about it, too, was that when I listen to, like, records for the first time, any record, I always try to listen to it, like, straight through, no skips, no replays, like, for the first time to just experience it, which I feel like a lot of people probably relate to, try to do. It was very hard for me to resist not replaying Willow as soon as I heard it. I wanted to just live in that song for a while. When I, as soon as I first heard it, the outro of that song just gets me every single time. Even like if I'm listening to it idly, as soon as the outro hits, my brain just instantly like flips and I'm like singing it and I just wanted to keep going. And yeah, I fell in love with the song. And you know, I've basically listened to nothing but Evermore for the last like month. Oh, so, I know. I know. Have you been stalking my Spotify? Yeah, you see, I I never got rid of the little window that tells you what your friends are listening to because I like to look. So 
every so often I just look over, oh, Evermore again. Yeah. <laughs> which, which is fine. It's a very, it's a very, very good album. I have to say, I think it helped that we had already decided to continue telling the story of our, our wonderful ghost and cowboy, because I think this song very much uh, fit, the, fit the vein. So thank you, T-Swift, for writing it just in time. <laughs> so as listeners may or may not recall, our last episode dealt with the cowboy and a poltergeist in the middle of the desert in the Old West, dealing with the ramifications of their life choices. But we didn't really get into any of that in the story. So what about the song Willow inspired you to want to take a second look at these characters? This is the thing that we didn't really get to like explore with our first episode, at least with the stories, is we, we had these two characters, Judah and I don't even name the polter or uh, our ghosty friend in my <laughs> friend is a friend is stretching it just a little friend but but i didn't name the ghost in the first story when i was writing the story i had the context of you know there's this ghost that's haunting this cowboy guy named judah but I needed a backstory for the ghost in my head to write the story. I didn't actually say anything about that backstory in the story itself, but I wanted one for myself personally. So in my brain as I was writing the story, I may have mentioned this in this episode, in that last episode, but I don't remember. But in my head, the ghost was a jilted lover, basically. The TLDR of that was a jilted lover. Judah's the reason she's dead. So, yeah, I think I think we had come to that conclusion during separate like conversations that you and I had without recording them, because I I remember in my story, I alluded to a a problem involving an extramarital affair and Judah not feeling too good about that because it hit too close to home. So I think it was something that you and I discussed, but not in the context of a recorded episode. Yeah, it was just a general idea. Uh, floating around but then when I listened to Willow and as I kept kind of listening to Evermore over and over again and I'd listen to Willow it's something about the song I think first of all from like just a instrumental song standpoint the the mood and the vibe is definitely there it's got a like you know it's got this witchy but also sort of pioneer cowboy it's it's the acoustic riff it's the i know exactly what you're talking about because i had the same impression it's the opening riff in the beginning and it's very subtle and it's and it's the key that it's in where it's it's like enticing not quite sinister but not quite sweet either Mm -hmm. so it i i agree it felt very i don't even want to say old west but it felt it felt like people moving out there you know what i'm talking about i know what you're talking about so so it it it, it did feel that way and and you're right it did feel witchy although i admit that the witchy vibes were imprinted upon my brain after watching the music video and not before (laughs) yeah yeah that's i mean i think the music video definitely does drive it home you get elements there is a little bit of a like magical quality about it the music video definitely really solidifies it and i think based on like interviews that i've like 
read and seen since about these albums and stuff because again i i went into the deep end with these albums i'm i'm like obsessed with them but i think i've like heard her mention that like similar sort of aesthetics and stuff in terms of the like pioneer witchy kind of thing sort of being touchstones or inspirations so there's something very serendipitous about this song because it just tied in so well to what we had already started writing yeah because i think this song came out when we were finalizing uh when we were when we were getting the the original stories finalized and recorded now this is a while ago because as most of you know we released some of our episodes out of order in mm-hmm. in consideration for the holidays and other things but this the timing was a little eerie that it just so happened to blend so well with what we had originally done were there any lyrics in the song that struck out to you like oh i uh, this is perfect for this character this is this is it yeah wreck my plants <laughs> Which you guys will understand a little better after we read the stories. But Wrecked My Plans, That's My Man, I think was the like main thing that snapped. And I was like, boom, that's her. Because you're writing from the perspective of the ghost mm-hmm. again. As I am writing from the perspective of my handsome, sad cowboy again. I can't say that any of the lyrics in particular initially stuck out to me as like, oh, this is good for Judah because uh, you hear the song and and I think of of your character. Yeah, Which like I, I, I just do. I, I feel like can we say the name? Yeah, well, you named her Willow. I yeah. feel like it's so so so. Yeah, you're right. You think of Willow. Uh, we decided uh, you decided to name your ghost after her for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> so. But I think that the general mood of it, the general atmosphere of the songs definitely contributed to the directions of the stories because this isn't really a spoiler, guys, but this is these are prequel stories. So this is a more of, it's less of a continuation and more of a how did we get here kind of a, a deal. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that they tie into each other pretty well and I'm very interested to see how you think they, they, how the stories tie into the song in particular and how they tie into each other. Uh, I'll be very interested to see what you make of it by the time we're both done. I'm really excited to hear your story and your side of things because, because like, you're right. Like, this song is definitely a Willow's perspective song. Yes. In so many, so many ways. So as I was writing mine, I was just thinking about, like, what are you cooking up? Because uh, yeah. it, it'll be interesting. <laughs> this, was, this was a window into, into her mind. And I, I think that, in a way, it helped me because I'm framing her from his perspective. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, uh, and not to get too into it, because I want to save this for the actual discussion of the story, but, but Taylor Swift's song was influential in that it was, it was number one, the atmosphere. The atmosphere was huge. And, and I think it's like, okay, well, this is your perspective, but how would I have the same song but flipped, like somebody from the outside? Mm-hmm. But before, before we go too far into it, I, I want to put a cap on this. Yeah. Because then we'll have nothing to talk about in about... 20 minutes so yeah yeah we can we can put a cap in 
last thoughts regarding the song before we truly do our deep dive? Yeah, I mean, I I love this song, and I think it worked so well for what we were doing. It is eerie, just the timing of it. Because it literally, like, we had just finished our stories and recordings for Cat Fight, and then this song came out, and I was listening, and I was like, oh my god. Like, it just, yeah. it just fits so well. So that's really exciting, and I'm just, like you said, I want to save some of the yes. other thoughts that are in my head right now for the rest of the episode after we've read the stories, but... I love this song. It's been so fun. It's been a wild ride, I should say. Really picking apart this song in my head and then using that to create this story. So those are my final thoughts. I, I like that. I'm, I'm very excited to see where the song uh, takes both of us, although I kind of know where it took me. So again, thank you, T-Swift, for oddly enough timing it perfectly with what we had going on yeah. not that you ever anticipated your story inspiring part two of a cowboy exorcist and his poltergeist but we thank you anyway yeah the inspiration comes from all places people but i think before we get too carried away we should probably discuss everybody's favorite segment not getting any better at the synchronization not at all (laughs) (laughs) who do we have this week yes this week dear listeners we want to share with you an artist by the name of jensen mcrae hell yeah if you are like me and always on the twitter and also happen to follow phoebe bridgers who's another great artist um you may have already heard of jensen mcrae because she went viral for this funny kind of joke preemptive cover song that she wrote in the style of Evie Bridgers which I thought was one really well done and the tweet also made me chuckle but her voice in particular like really stuck out to me and I was like oh wow she's got a really great voice and then I went and checked out more of her stuff and I loved it I think she's super dope she's super super talented And she filled a hole that I didn't realize that I needed filled. I didn't know I wanted another Tracy Chapman-esque voice in my life. And then I heard Jensen McRae and was like, wow, I didn't know I needed this, but I did. And it's so good. Her song in particular lives in my head rent-free now is White Boy. 10 out of 10 would recommend, particularly if you are a person of color like myself um it will make you feel some type of way probably and her song wolves is also insanely good if you want a good song to listen to alone in your bedroom when you're sad or not i don't know you could listen to it in a coffee shop or wherever life you do you but yeah both are insanely good she's super super talented she should run the world. She's great. She's got so many good songs. But she doesn't have an album out, I don't think. And so I'm waiting for that. If you like her stuff when you hear it, you can follow her on Twitter at Jensen underscore McRae. And yeah, let her know Rhapsody and Reverie sent you. Uh, she's great and we hope you enjoy. 
I really did love Wolves. Wolves was a very solid, solid song. Yeah. So good. And you're right, now that I think about it, she is very Tracy Chapman-esque. Right. I, She's got that vibe. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking forward to hearing more from her. Now that we have talked about our up-and-comer, though, mm-hmm. I'm chomping at the bit, and I've been waiting for so long. <laughs> so long. I'm sorry. I don't want to... I don't want to postpone it anymore. I'm done waiting. It's time to seize the day, as they say in places. This is getting away from me. I think without further ado, we should begin with your story. Yes. We shall. Yay. And just full disclosure, I've been taking so long with my story. I feel very bad, because Katarina literally has been messaging me like all the time, being like, why aren't you done yet? I need to hear it. <laughs> I need to know. I need to know. So, Again, because like I feel I feel like this week is going to be Willow's time to shine. Not just because we've taken the song and named the poltergeist after the song, but it's time for Willow to get her moment in the sun before she... Be- I don't know. Yeah. Before... Before, Before she spends the rest happens. of her life haunting, her afterlife haunting this cowboy. Yeah. Exorcist. <sighs> All right. Um, it's time. Well, strap Read. in. Go, go. <laughs> okay. If you'll remember, my story from Cat Clyde's episode was called Scorched Earth. This week's story is Fanned Flames, a short story inspired by Willow, by Taylor Swift. All right. Are you ready? Don't ask me that question. (laughs) (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) Fanned Flames, a short story inspired by the song Willow, by Taylor Swift. He had a way of rolling in and out of town like storm clouds, silent and ominous. And if I knew any better or was the sort of woman to keep my eye on the skies, I would have run for cover as the heavens turned gray. But lucky for Judah Masterson, I lived for the changing of the wind. Every few months he'd come to sell his fare to my daddy, and I'd watch him appear from the window by my post in the general store, a tempest even underneath the sweltering sun. The chill of his storm cut down to my bones, and I'd shiver and shake even as I looked on from the safety of my father's store. But that was nothing compared to the day Judah finally walked in. I learned a valuable lesson that day. Never underestimate the power of the winds. Subtle creaking of the wooden door swinging open alerted me to his presence first, followed by a rhythmic thudding of boots against aging floorboards. Good morning, sir. You're Miss Willow? he remarked, the corners of his mouth pulling upwards as he removed his wide-brimmed hat from his head. He had that tantalized look in his eye that I had grown accustomed to seeing in the men who came into the store, or the ones who tipped their hats to me on my way back home. Normally I don't pay it no mind, but that look don't usually come in such a shade of icy blue. Yes, sir. May I help you? Your father... He told me the book I'd requested came in. He said you'd be able to assist me. It's that black one there. He directed, 
using his hat to gesture towards the bookshelf behind me. Certainly. I turned to the bookshelf behind me and reached up to grab the thick spine of the book. The cover was adorned with gold lettering, and I had traced my fingers over them as I turned back to the counter. Book of Spells, Charms, and Incantations, I read aloud before resting it on the counter and looking back to Judah. That'll be one dollar. Hope your Latin's better than mine. You... Did you read it? His eyebrow ticked upwards as he sat his hat down on the counter. Well, I tried to, I shot back. I read just about every book that comes in here, whenever I'm minding the store. Everyone? You must spend a lot of time in here, then. Every day, since my mama died a few years ago. I peered down at the floor below me a moment, recalling groaning sounds the floorboards would make as I crawled around my mother's feet as a kid. I've had time to adjust to standing in her place now, but I'd never forget that sound, an earthy accompaniment to that airy voice I'll never hear again. I quite enjoy it here myself, I continued, returning to Judah's piercing blue eyes. Well, it's better than staying home all day, anyway. Now, are you going to get on and pay for that book, or are you fixing to cause me trouble? There's a gun behind the counter, and reading's not the only thing my daddy taught me. He laughed, casting his eyes down as he reached into his pocket. No, Miss Willow, I don't want any trouble. Here you are. He handed over four coins, fingertips hovering over my palm delicately as he returned to his study of my face. He seemed to be turning over my features in his mind, and I couldn't help but reciprocate. An intensity lingered just behind his cordial smile. Serious. Focused hungry. Those eyes held on to me tight. The longer I stared, the more urgently I searched his expression for a hint at what could fuel such a force. After pulling my hand away to put the money in the register, he held out his to shake. Forgot my manners. I'm... I know who you are, I said. You're Abraham Masterson's son. I shook his hand, cognizant of the shallow breaths now fighting out of my chest. Wouldn't have pegged a cattle rancher's son to be much of a reader, neither. Yes, most people don't, he said a little tersely, before flashing another smile. But every man's got to have a pastime. How a person minds their spare time will teach you all you need to know about him, I nodded. That's so. He considered this a moment. So, how do you mind yours, besides reading? Very carefully, Mr. Masterson, I replied as I began straightening up some of the nearby items on the counter. You're a sharp one, Miss Willow. Anyone ever tell you that? He said, letting out another low laugh. Plenty, but they usually don't sound as happy about it as you do. I can imagine. Well, thank you kindly for your assistance, Miss Willow, he smiled putting the book in his jacket pocket. Any time, Mr. Masterson, I said, watching him grab his hat and grin down at it as he lightly shook it in his hand before placing it back on his head. Mr. Masterson's my father, Miss Willow. Call me Judah. He offered me one final nod underneath the brim of his hat before walking out the door.
His voice echoed in my head for the rest of the day, burrowed in there deep and followed me home. Even as I started prepping the kitchen for supper, the low murmur of my name from his mouth told me back into the memory. My hands moved idly as I stoked the fire for the stove, and my mind clung on to the feather-light contact Judah's fingers made with my palm. Everything all right at the shop today, Willow? I turned around to see my father walking in with my sister following close behind. Yes, Daddy. Nothing out the ordinary. I walked over to the table where he and Ellie Mae had sat down to kiss him on the cheek. Miss Smith came in for some flour. Miss Wilson stopped in, too. And Mr. Masterson's son picked up his book this morning. I mentioned as casually as I could. Ah, yes, that reminds me. Judah asked me to put another order in for him. He pulled out a scrap of paper from his pocket. Can you remind me tomorrow morning? Of course. Thank you, Willow, he said, looking over the list of books before handing it to me. He didn't cause you any trouble, I trust. No, no trouble at all. He paid his due and left. I recalled the smiles and warmth of his hand in mine as I stuffed the paper into the pocket of my apron. Good. Odd sort of fellow, that one. What makes you say that? Not sure. Daddy stroked his chestnut beard carefully as he contemplated this. Does right by his pa. Married to a nice girl. Dependable enough. Still, seems a bit too smart for his own good if you ask me. He sighed. Ain't that the same thing you're always saying about me? I laughed. Ah, no. I said he was a bit too smart for his own good. Daddy began, standing up to walk towards me. You, daughter, are far too smart for your own good. Mind the difference. He let out a chortle as he kissed my forehead. Hey, what about me? Ellie May chimed in from the table. Once you reach your sister's age, you'll be even smarter than she is, no doubt. How old are you again, Willow dear? Twenty-one, you know that, Daddy, I replied. Yes, of course. So that's five more years before you two are both smarter than your old man here. May the Lord have mercy on my soul after that. Daddy cupped Ellie May's chin in his hand with a smile before making his way back outside. Come on, Ellie, help me with supper, I said. That night, after I changed out of my dress and untied the ribbon holding back the mess of auburn curls on my head, I laid in bed with the list of books Judah had given my father and read over it by the moonlight casting in from the window beside me. Stillness blanketed over me as Ellie May's soft breathing ebbed and flowed from the bed across the small room. She and Daddy had fallen fast asleep hours ago, while my mind continued to toil, like most nights. Your flame's always burning, ain't it? Mama used to say to me when she'd try to put me down to bed, her voice both kind and colored with resignation. She'd take a moment to fuss with the tangles of hair pooling around my head on the pillow, before launching into weaving tales of what it was like traveling the country with Daddy. 
Her descriptions of the raging rivers and open fields splayed out on the canvas in my imagination. I'd watch and wonder as the memories lit up her face until my eyelids finally grew heavy and night carried me away into a peaceful slumber. Though her stories were often filled with peril, her mouth never lost its faint smile, and her eyes shined on fiercely. As I recalled her face, I looked back down to the paper in my hand. The handwriting, far too neat to be my father's, I traced over the ink with my fingertips, where Judah had written the titles. Ceremonial Magic Herbal Magics Rituals and Other Arts Daddy's words echoed in my head. He seems a bit too smart for his own good. I wagered that was probably true, but I couldn't seem to pull away from his face in my mind. It was a wonder much stronger than any I had found in the night spent listening to Mama. That feeling only grew as time went on, and Judah kept coming back into the store every couple months. He'd be in to pick up his latest order of books, and the titles became ever stranger. I kept reading each one as best I could, and we'd dance around the subject, discussing just about anything other than the books I placed on the counter for him. A more prudent woman may have known to leave such a man alone, especially a married one. I'd like to say I tried to, but what's the use in lying? A beautiful woman such as yourself shouldn't be wasting her time keeping shop all day. Cooed a squirrely young man leaning against the counter on a particularly slow day. That's so, Peter, I said, stealing a glance outside the window of the store to spot Judah walking towards the door. Might I accompany you to the carnival next week? I heard Peter's question, but my attention fit squarely on the sound of Judah's boots striking against the floor. I swear I could pick out their distinct steps from a sea of comers and goers. Well, you'd have to ask my father. He's real strict about that sort of thing. I know, which is why I already did. So what do you say? Peter pressed on, unaware of the man walking up behind him. As I opened my mouth to answer, Judah approached the counter. I'll think about it, I directed to Peter, before greeting Judah cordially. Good afternoon, Mr. Masterson. Can I help you? Hello, Miss Willow, he replied as Peter straightened up from leaning on the counter. I'll come by again later, Willow, Peter said placing a kiss on my hand before walking out of the store. Well, I could use a repellent like you around here more often, I remarked to Judah, feeling the corners of my mouth pull upwards. Hmm? Judah raised an eyebrow as he removed his hat. Peter? He's been here all morning and cleared right out after catching sight of you. Oh, didn't notice. He shrugged with a grin that made my heart rattle away in my ears. I think he's fixing to court me, I replied casually as I studied Judah carefully, hoping to catch a crack in his confident demeanor, a look of pain, longing, sadness, something. But nothing ever came. Instead, he let out a snort. Good luck to him. And what's that supposed to mean? I'm a perfectly agreeable sort of woman. Right. 
I am. I looked up from behind the counter to see him resting his hands against it, fixing his piercing eyes on me. You've forgotten how well I've come to know you, Miss Willow. Oh, is that right? You know me now. I do. Most men alive wouldn't know how to keep up with you. Take it as a compliment. He grinned. Well, you seem to do just fine, I said as he leaned in forward. I think you would agree I'm not like most men alive. His voice was low and twinged with a seriousness that made me think back to his books on the shelf behind me. I would, I said, eyes searching his. I could feel all the questions I had been dying to ask Judah for months piling up in my mind again, and my mouth parted, ready to pour them all out until I heard the door of the store swing open. I straightened up and quickly turned to the bookshelf behind me to grab Judah's latest three books as my father walked over. Ah, there you are, Judah, Daddy said, coming around the corner to check the register. Yes, hello, sir. Thank you for putting in my last order. Of course. I trust Willow sorting you out all right. Absolutely, sir. Very good. There anything else you need from me today, sir? No. Thank you, Judah. And thank your pa for me, too. Certainly. Willow, after you finish with Judah here, start cleaning the shop. We'll close early today, Daddy said, turning towards me. Yes, Daddy. That'll be two twenty-five, Mr. Masterson. Daddy turned to the bookshelf as Judah handed me the money. His index finger lightly stroked the inside of my palm as he did so, and all those questions burned inside my brain. You're not leaving for a couple days, ain't you? Daddy said as I slipped my hand away. Yes, sir. Leaving the day after tomorrow. Judah's polite expression never wavered, but his words planted an idea in my mind. Excellent. I'll walk you back to the inn then. We'll have a drink. Will you be back home for supper, Daddy? I asked, watching him closely. Yes, of course, he said to me before looking at Judah. She and her sister are always keeping me out of trouble. As Daddy laughed, I slipped one of Judah's books off the counter and hid it behind my back before he looked back to me. I'll see you at home, Willow. Daddy kissed my forehead before walking towards the door. Judah moved to collect the two books from the counter and looked up at me for a moment. Nice to see you again, he began, eyeing me curiously a moment, no doubt noticing the stack had grown considerably shorter. I held his gaze while my heart pounded in my chest, praying I didn't look as a mess as I felt. With a hint of a smirk, he nodded his head politely, grabbing the books. Miss Willow? You as well, Mr. Masterson. I hope you enjoy the rest of your evening, I replied, watching him follow my father out of the store. Taking the book from behind my back, I tucked it into the pocket hidden in my skirt as soon as I was sure they had left and set about closing the store. Night had settled in quickly once I got home from the store that evening. Daddy made it back home for supper with Ellie and I as promised and after some time he wished the two of us good night and headed to bed. I laid in my bed quietly and waited to hear Ellie Mae's breathing even out as she fell asleep. 
The house settled into a familiar quiet, and carefully I crept out of my bed, pulling on my coat and the darkest dress I owned. Willow, what are you up to? I turned around to see Ellie Mae rising her head up from her pillow. I'm just gonna sit out back a while. I lied, grabbing the book from Judah's order on my bed and putting it in the pocket of my coat. Sure you are. That's why you're sneaking out the window? Go back to bed, Ellie Mae, I hissed. You know Daddy don't want you leaving the house at night, she warned, sitting up. Yeah, well, Daddy ain't gonna find out now, is he? And why is that exactly? She folded her arms with a smirk, just barely visible in the dark. Because you ain't gonna tell him. I shot back, opening the window before turning back to her. Otherwise, I'll tell Daddy what I saw you and the Woodrow's boy doing at last month's barn raisin. You, you saw that. Mm-hmm. Been saving that for a rainy day. So, do we have an understanding? Fine, she said quietly as I began to climb out of the window. So where are you really going? She asked. Good night, Ellie Mae, I said, rolling my eyes. This town didn't really get many visitors, but the saloon at the inn felt particularly barren that night. I noted as I walked in. I kept the hood on my coat pulled over my head, and my eyes pointed towards the ground as I carefully scanned the room. Ellie Mae certainly wasn't wrong. Daddy would just about skin me alive if he knew I came here, especially if he knew what I came here for. Across the room, I spotted Judah, sitting on a stool at the end of the bar, keeping company with nothing but a glass of whiskey and his hat resting next to him on the counter. Only now did the thought occur to me that this might not be a good idea. However, as I slowly made my way towards him, his head turned slightly in my direction, and those blue eyes met mine again. My feet quickened their pace a little as I resigned that what Daddy didn't know wouldn't hurt him. Hello, Mr. Masterson, I greeted, finally approaching him. Miss Willow. Ain't this a surprise, Judah remarked. To what do I owe the honor? One of the books you requested. I must have accidentally forgotten to pull it off the shelf when you came in for the others. I reached into my coat pocket to pull out the book I'd hung on to and placed it on the counter. I thought I'd stop in on my way home to get it to you. Yes, well... Accidents do happen. He paused, studying me with a slight grin. Thank you kindly, Miss Willow. He raised his glass to me and took a sip. You're welcome. I know it could have waited till morning, but I wasn't sure if you'd be coming back to the store before you left. And, well, I do my best reading by moonlight myself. Reading's how you spend your nights, too, then, when you're not out making nighttime deliveries such as this one. Well, Daddy and Ellie may go to bed so early, and I never know what to do with myself once the sun goes down. Judah let out a chuckle at that, and brought his whiskey glass to his mouth for another swig, grimacing a little at the burn. 
Do you really know how to use all those boats you keep ordering? The question slipped out of my mouth just as quickly as it entered my head. After so long, I couldn't keep it in any longer. Judah's piercing eyes flashed onto mine, head tilted back with a stern countenance before turning to me. What exactly do you think you know about this book, Miss Willow? His voice was low as he stood from his stool to lean against the bar. Well, I don't even recognize some of the languages in that one. I couldn't make sense of a lot of the passages, but... Go on, he encouraged, a sense of intrigue seeping through the seriousness on his face. I... I wanted to. What I did make sense of sounded blasphemous, immoral. He offered, taking another sip with a mischievous grin playing at his lips. Exciting, I replied, downright enchanting even. Don't be so sure, he fired back darkly. Why not? Judah paused a moment, staring at me as if he was almost surprised. You ain't afraid of asking questions, are you? He remarked. Mama always said I could never let things lie. I can't help it. Once it's in my mind, it burns in there something fierce. A weak smile spread on my face. Is that right? His eyes scanned around the sparse room first before lowering his voice again. All right, Miss Willow. You want to know about this book so bad? Why don't you use one of those empty nights of yours and meet me in the woods tomorrow, just down the road. See if we can't stop the burning in your mind. And how am I supposed to find you in the woods at night? It gets awful dark here, I asked. Judah stood quietly a moment, looking me over, and then leaned in closer to raise a hand towards me slowly. I could feel my heart beating out of my chest as his fingers praised against my neck on their way to tug at the long red ribbon holding back my curls. Bands pulled around me as Judas slipped the ribbon out of my tangled mess of hair and turned the ribbon over in his hands before putting it in his pocket. You'll find me, he stated simply as the base of my spine tingled. Finishing off his drink, Judas stood upright and leaned towards my ear. It's late, Miss Willow. You best be getting home. Grabbing the book and his hat off the counter, Judah walked away from the bar. The next day passed by me in a daze. People shuffled in and out of the store, but who came in or what they needed, I couldn't tell you. Judah wasn't one of them, not that I expected him to be. Still, that didn't stop me from peering out the window all day. I don't think I had ever been more eager for nightfall. As the sky darkened outside, I headed home, made supper for Daddy and Ellie Mae like I always did, and waited for them to fall fast asleep. On the surface, it was just another day, but I felt something shifting in the air all around me with every breath I dared to take in. Once I was sure it was safe, I slipped out of my bed, into my coat, and out the window. Making my way to the front of our house, a single firefly flew directly in front of my nose. So close, I swore I heard the beating of its wings as it hovered in front of me. I shoot at the firefly, only for it to remain suspended just ahead of me. Walking towards it, the firefly moved further away, 
stopping only once I did. It continued hovering before me, light blinking steadily. The longer I stared, the more difficult it became for me to look away. Its languid movements so puzzling, so mesmerizing. And as I started towards it again, the firefly glided ahead, and all I could do was follow it. As I walked on, another firefly joined the other, and both continued to lead me on. After a few minutes, I began to realize we were headed right in the direction of the woods. I picked my pace up a little as a cluster of fireflies shone brightly ahead of me. Now at the edge of the forest, a trail of the little lightning bugs lit up in the dark thickness of the trees, and I followed them in. Marveling at the luminescent trail before me, I traveled deep into the forest, well further than I had ever been before, until coming upon a clearing. From the trees I watched Judah sat beside a burning fire, pensively reading a black book by the light, hat sat low on his head. His fingers played at the pages nimbly, and I reached my hand to my neck where his had been the night before, loosening the ribbon in my hair. Leaning slightly forward, a twig snapped underneath my foot, and Judah's head cocked up from the pages as the fireflies circling my head floated away. His icy blue eyes fixed on me from the other side of the fire as I came into its light. Did you like the trail I left you? Judah inquired, closing the book in his hand. Cost you a ribbon. He gestured to a small pile of ashes and red scraps of fabric beside him before standing up. But since you were so worried about the dark and scary forest, I figured I'd light the way for you. The fireflies, I murmured, looking back towards the forest and then to him. That wasn't you. Judah laughed at that, casting his gaze at the fire before walking towards me. You asked me if I really knew how to use these books, Miss Willow. He held up the book in his hand, admiring the ornate cover catching the firelight. Well, the answer's yes. And I'm supposed to believe that because some lightning bugs followed me around? I remarked. Same thing happened to me last July. Fair enough. So how's this? Judah took a breath and held out his free hand. Eyes closing, his lips moved slightly, but the words coming out of him were soft and unintelligible. My eyes quickly snapped from his face to his outstretched hand, where a tiny green seedling appeared in his palm. The seedling sprouted rapidly, growing into a beautifully vibrant purple lily in just a matter of seconds. I hadn't really considered what I would do or say if all those books I'd seen were real, but now as Judah handed me the stem of the lily he'd made appear in mere seconds, my heart raced away in my chest. With a delicate hand I stroked the violet petals, cataloging their smooth surface as its scent wafted up to my nose, blending in with the wood smoke of the fire. Flowers ain't nothing I haven't seen before in the garden, Judah. I handed the lily back to him and tugged at the sides of my coat with a shiver. Well, all right. Judah looked around the forest, lips moving deftly again, pouring out more sounds in the shape of a language. His brow furrowed in concentration, bringing even more severity to his features than I'd ever seen before. I didn't want to look away from him, 
but the foreboding shake of a rattlesnake snapped my eyes to the ground where a brown-scaled serpent slithered to his feet. Instinctively, I began stepping back from the snake beside Judah. However, the snake did not move to strike. Rather, it paused in its path and slithered in a circle. It was then I noticed the languid patterns Judah's free hand was making in the air. He won't bite, Judah murmured carefully, fingers twitching in tandem with the snake. Stepping towards it, I bent over, cautiously stretching my hand towards the docile creature. Cool to the touch, I ran my palm along the side of the snake's head. Its tongue flickered against my finger, and I snapped my hand back to my side as I stood back up. I've seen snake charmers at the carnival before, I offered hesitantly. This seemed to amuse Judah, a laugh escaping him as he jerked his hand forward, and the rattlesnake swiftly slithered away into the trees again. Snake charmers, side acts, and mother nature, he muttered, rifling through the pages in the black book. He paused after seeming to find what he was looking for won't be able to explain this. Closing the book, he set it on the ground nearby and stood in front of me. My head had already begun to feel dizzy, but Judah had never stood this close to me in all the months that had gone by. At any moment, I felt like a subtle breeze might knock me clean off my feet. Hold out your hands, he said, his voice steeped in an enthralling urgency. He gazed down at me and I stood frozen by the rapid beating of my heart. Softening his face, he looked at my hands as they hung limp at my sides, then back to my eyes. You trust me, don't you? I did trust him. Lord knows why, but I did. Maybe it was the rush of excitement that he roused in me every time I knew he was near. Maybe it was that slick silver tongue he used so well. Maybe it was the mysterious power lurking underneath his every move. Whatever it was, it brought a wondrous splendor to me that I hadn't thought possible. Slowly, I raised my hands and held them in front of me. Judah grinned and turned to look up at the night sky above us, stars shining brightly alongside a glowing full moon. Lifting his arms, I gazed in awe as Judah's hands cupped the moon between them and slowly dragged the iridescent shape down from the heavens. As easy as grabbing a can off a shelf. Turning back to me, he placed the pale orb into my awaiting hands. Warm and feather light, I blinked rapidly at the moon now resting in front of me. Forest around us bathed in its light. Every leaf, every twig, and every branch was fully visible to me. I laughed in disbelief as my hands began to shake so violently I thought I might shatter the moon at any moment. Can I put it back? I looked to Judah, who smiled and nodded in response. Lifting the moon over my head, I held it back up in the sky and let it go as it rejoined the stars around it. Well, I can sure see why your wife married you, I said, still staring up at the moon, thinking about the feeling of its bumpy surface. Judah scoffed and shook his head. Oh, no. She doesn't know anything about this. Really? I think I'd like to know if my husband could give me the moon clean out the sky. 
I said, looking down from the moon to see Judah studying my face. She's not like you, he replied. I reckon there aren't many other women alive like you. I swallowed hard, heart continuing to hammer away. Does anyone else know? Judas shook his head in response. Never had an audience, he added. Until tonight, I said. My shaking hands returned as I continued to look up at Judah. That's right. So why me? I asked. You were the one who asked about the boats, Miss Willow, he laughed. Well, I know that, I retorted, lightly swatting at his arm. But you didn't have to show me. You could have lied about it all, said it was all nonsense, told me to quit asking questions and mind my own business. I emboldened myself to step a little closer. So why did you tell me the truth? Judah grinned and shook his head. Well, I didn't think you'd take too kindly to a lie, he laughed before taking another small step forward. And because I saw something in your eyes, something that's been there from the day I met you. What did you see? I replied, breathing becoming more of a challenge in his presence. An appetite for something greater. His words came out weathered and gravelly, almost like a growl in the darkness. Its sound reverberated in my ears, lighting up every part of my brain and sending shivers to each inch of my skin. It shook in me so fiercely that I didn't think I'd survive it, and yet as he continued to look down at me, all those sensations grew stronger still. You're heading out of town in the morning. I whispered into the shrinking darkness between my mouth and his chest, removing my coat as the heat building inside of me swelled to be completely unbearable. He nodded as I looked up at him. Is it hard, I asked, all that coming and going? The road's a lonely place, but so is home, he murmured. What about right here? Any place with you in it can't be lonely, Miss Willow. His eyes trailed up and down my frame as he raised a hand to my hair. He fixed it, playing at the mess of curls by my chin before letting his fingers graze my shoulders and his hand returned to his side. Far from it. I reached my hand up to his hat, pulling it off his head and letting it drop to the ground. Good. Wrapping an arm around my waist, he closed the infinitesimal distance between us. My heart hammered away as he paused to look me over. I had thought about this moment a hundred times over, and now that it was real, that familiar burning inside of me raged into an inescapable fire. Fingers grabbing at his shirt, I tugged his face down towards me, his mouth hovering above mine only for a second before he kissed me. Of all the magic he had shown me tonight, no act could compete with the spellbounding power of this moment. That kiss and what followed was the most dangerous spell we could have ever casted together that I knew from the moment my hands touched his bare skin on the forest floor, but we were too drunk on its power. From then on, we continued dabbling in that magic every chance we could. 
months and months went by, and I was just as well-versed in the curvature of his body as I was in the books of black magic he'd order. Each time he blew into town, I'd follow his trail into the forest and fall deeper and deeper into his storm. And when he was gone, I wanted nothing more than for the winds of him to sweep me away again. I went through the motions of my life, tended to the shop, looked after Ellie Mae, politely entertained Peter and other suitors, but my mind was always there on our nights in the forest. Any other semblance of life would never do, and as I walked into the forest again and again, I began to think I could finally see what flame my mom always saw in me. It's getting harder to watch you leave, knowing you're not mine. I sighed, curled underneath a blanket with Judah's fingers drawing lackadaisical patterns along my spine. I'm more yours than hers. You know that, don't you? I do. The world don't. I sighed into his chest, watching the embers of the fire burn in front of us. They will soon. Count on that, darling. Sure they will. I mean it. And I'll do you one better. I'll give you the world. How's that? Everything above and below will be ours, Miss Willow. Whatever you want. I think I'm wild enough about you to believe that. I laughed. Good. Because I'm fixing to make it happen. He grinned, sitting up and staring back at me. What's that supposed to mean? I examined him curiously and sat up as well. It means, Judah began, grabbing my hand in his with a smile. Run away with me. You ain't serious. Quit it. I dropped his hand to shove his shoulder, rolling my eyes. Yes, I am. Come on, Willow. Isn't this what we've been talking about all this time? The chance to leave these towns to dust for a life beyond our imaginations? The chance to do more than survive on scraps for real power? The chance to be together outside of the trees and the shadows? This could be it. We could do it. His face lit up with a feverish excitement. What about your wife? I should have left her the moment I set eyes on you. Judah paused to place a kiss on my collarbone. But better late than never, right? You're sure about this? Of course I'm sure. I'm yours, darling. Never been more sure about anything. Where will we go? Anywhere. Everywhere. Look, don't you worry about that. Just say you'll come with me, and I'll take care of the rest. Judah, this... I began hesitantly, but Judah pressed on. I got enough money tucked away. You've said it before. You don't want to stay here forever. So I'll go home, and I'll tell my wife. And when I come back into town in a couple of months, we'll hop on a train and clear out of here, like we always talked about. For once, I allowed myself to imagine it fully, leaving everything behind with Judah. I'd resign that these nights in the woods might be the most I'd ever get out of him. But Judah's eyes were fixed on mine, and behind the unbridled passion was a stern serenity. I believed him. Well, come on, say something, Judah prodded. Tell me again, I murmured touching my nose to his lightly. Tell you what, that you're mine.
Why? I pulled my head away from his to look at him again. You want me to say yes, don't you? I want to hear it. All right, Miss Willow, I am yours. Honestly, truly, madly yours. And I want you by my side wherever I go. His hands cut my face gently as I grabbed onto his wrist. So say you'll come with me, please. All right, you don't have to beg. I grinned at him as he wrapped his arms around me again, pulling me back to the ground with a laugh. In the morning, he left town as he always did, but this time his absence brought exhilaration along with the typical yearning I was accustomed to. Every day that passed by, I counted meticulously, drawing closer to the day he would come back for me. As I continued about my normal life, I thought back to Mama and her stories. Did she feel this way when she left home? Was her heart racing like a train the way mine had been ever since Judah left? Did she have a fire burning inside of her, too? I'd like to think it must have been. That leaving with my daddy must have been like a storm of her own. And now I was merely following a destiny she had laid out for me. A month passed by and I came home from the store one evening, lost in these thoughts once more, as I started supper. There you are, Willow dear, Daddy called, coming into the house from outside. A package came for you today. I put it on your bed for you. He remarked, placing a kiss on my forehead. Who's it from? I asked, heart picking up speed. Doesn't say, Daddy shrugged. I reckon it's from that boy Peter. Only a matter of time before he's asking me for your hand, I wager. He shook his head, walking off into another room. My legs moving with a mind of their own, I ran up to my room and saw the plain white box sitting on my bed. Opening it quickly, I pulled away the thin paper packaging to reveal a beautiful red dress folded neatly inside. Black embroidery covered the bodice in an ornate floral pattern far more intricate and stunning than anything I'd ever owned. Sitting atop the dress lay a white envelope, which I ripped open to pull out a short note addressed to me. I'm always yours. J. Grinning madly, I clung on to the words in my mind as I pulled the dress out from the box, eager to try it on. Holding that soft fabric in my hands brought all my thoughts and imaginations from the last months right into this beautiful reality I found myself in. Slipping out of my clothes, I recalled the rivers and the fields my mother painted for me with her words back then. Only this time, Judah was there by my side, taking me by the hand and carrying me away. I never dared to dream such things, but it all stretched out before me now ready and waiting. After all Judah had shown me, all the conjurings and black magic, the life awaiting us enchanted me the most. A life filled with something greater. Readying the red dress, I stepped inside it and into the new world opening up for me. I pulled that dress up onto my body, buzzing with excitement as I marveled at it, the most beautiful dress I'd ever seen. If only had I known it'd be the last one I ever wore.
the end. Oh. Oh, Willow. Oh, Willow. No. <laughs> well, sayonara. Have fun as a poltergeist following him to the ends of the earth. Well, that was fun. I <laughs> I liked it. I I was getting very into it. I was beginning to to understand the appeal of him, which is something that you and I had discussed because he has to be enticing. He has to be attractive, obviously, mm-hmm. to to make her want this mm-hmm. life. But I was in it. I I was like, "Oh, I get it." I I wrote Judah first and I was like, "Oh, I get it." <laughs> yes, you were much kinder to Judah than I was. Oh. But wow. So Thank you for the story. This was very... I I really liked hearing more of Willow's personality come through and more of who she was before she became this all-consuming, rage-fueled demon thing. I liked her as a human. She was sweet. She made me care about her. She was smart. And she knew this was a dangerous thing to get into, and she did it anyway. That's stupid. (laughs) I can't say anything. I'd do the same thing. Like... Yeah... You get a man with just a little bit of brain cells, a little bit of attractiveness, a little bit of that mysterious allure, you're gone. I find it interesting you say I was more, I was kinder. I'm sure I'll understand that more after reading yours. When you say kinder, do you mean like I made him a nicer guy? Yeah. Also, I think your treatment of him in this story, you portray him more as a well-rounded man than I do. Where I'm, I don't want to get into it. I want to save this part of the discussion for, for afterwards because then we can talk about yeah. it. I have a few questions. Obviously, I, th- I think I understand in terms of, of scenes. I think I could figure out which ones were inspired by the song. But what, what, what specific scenes or images were conjured in your mind when you first heard Willow that actually got to be in the story? Hmm. That's a good question. A scene that popped in my head very early on was the scene in the forest where she's taking off his hat. I will say that that was a scene that kind of came from me listening to the song. And it's not even necessarily that there was anything lyrically in the song that pointed to that scene, because there isn't. But Willow itself, the song, what Taylor Swift has said about that song, like in interviews she's done, is that it's kind of about kind of the magic of falling in love with someone the kind of weird interesting witchy power someone has over you and we've kind of already mentioned that was very much congruous to the story that we were already building on and so the images that i got were just willow and judah interacting the first scene in the store came pretty early for me too and the scene as seen in the saloon when they're talking about the books, a lot of that imagery kind of just came from listening to the song. I figured when it was like the cloak over her head, I was like, ah. Yeah, that was a nod to the music video. (laughs) That was a nod to the music video, definitely. Because that was another thing too. You and I watched the music video together. I mean, we both loved the imagery from the music video. And so I thought it was fun to try and incorporate a little bit of that flavor into the story too. There are quite a few things, I think, that the song sparked in me, but it wasn't necessarily a lyrical one-to-one thing. You know, the lyrics themselves weren't the thing that really built out the story for me in my head. It was like we've said, like the mood that 
atmosphere and the vibe of the song too. I had a lot of trouble, I will say, walking yeah. this. Well, first of all, I had a lot of trouble with this story. Yeah. It's funny because the sequel was your idea. <laughs> right. And, and you seem to grapple with it a lot harder than I did. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> I like how you phrased it. What was that? <laughs> That's a good question, Katarina. I don't know. No. I mean, if you don't no, know, you can say I, that. I, don't know. I mean, I think what I struggled with the most was the scope of it all. Because, you know, we were truncating a lot of time into one story, which, you know, we we don't want to make these stories too long, you know, because otherwise we'd have these hour, two, three, four hour episodes. Which we might have yeah, anyway. who knows? We'll see what happens. The goal is to keep the stories kind of short and trying to fit all of Judah and Willow's sort of love affair and then the eventual demise into one story was a daunting task for me personally i i yes. struggled with it a lot and there are a lot of things that i wanted to do and couldn't do because it would just make the story so long and it was already taking me so much time to write like i had this whole thing planned that i was going to do and i i, I cut an entire scene because I just didn't have the time. It, it really was a lot. It was a very large scope. Yeah. It was, listen, it's an ambitious project to to tell a whole affair in one short story. Mm-hmm. But I think you did a very good job of it. Especially because uh, you actually elicited real emotions in me where I was torn between, yeah, girl, yeah, and <laughs> run, 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 run. Because <laughs> I know how it ends. We both know how it ends. But in the moment, you're just, you are enticed. And I think you did a very good job of really capturing how easy it is and, and how even though he's he's like the I'm not like other boys, that that he he means well and like he he does love her and it's a shame that things end the way they do. Yeah. But that said, were there I guess if you could do it again, though, I would never ask that of you. Were, were there any other directions, I guess, that you see that you could have taken? Or were there any any branch paths that you you could look back and go, oh, wow, yeah, I wish I could have done that? Or Yeah. Well, I'll say one thing. Now I, uh, I wish I made Judah more of an asshole since you no. since you're saying I was too kind to him. Because I was... No, 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 no. <laughs> no, I think... I don't want him to be an asshole. <laughs> I'm putting my foot down. Yeah. I mean, well, because I, I was, you know, I guess it kind of makes sense that I wouldn't make him an asshole because I'm writing from Willow's perspective. And Willow, yeah. sure, she may know he's a bit of, you know, thinks highly of himself and is a little, I'm hot shit, but she loves him. And there's, yes. she's attracted to him. She, she likes that. It's what's drawing her in. So she doesn't see him yeah. as this horrible person. And, like, I don't even think he is a horrible person. Like, his biggest crime is his inflated ego, which, to be fair, he can do magic. <laughs> he pulled, <laughs> he he can pulled read. the moon he out can, of the sky. He pulled the moon. I, too, 
would let my head swell just a little bit if I could do those things. And if I could read ancient Greek and Latin and all that other stuff, I can't say that I'd be any better. Because I don't think he's a bad guy. And you did a very good job of balancing. He's a bit of a dick. But, but, he, he can back it up. (laughs) If that makes sense. And he's a gentleman. He's kind to her. He respects her. He, he doesn't summon her to the forest to make love to her. She initiates the lovemaking, which, good good for you, Willow. Get it while you can. Yeah, she, she deserves it. I admired her absolutely baffling response to seeing a man grow a flower from the palm of his hand and just go, I've seen that in a garden before. Willow! Willow. <laughs> Have you, though? Have you... I kind of get the fi- actually I don't get the fireflies response either. Oh, I've seen fireflies before, ma'am. <laughs> I, ma'am. I, I will say if I did go back and write it again, I probably would rewrite that scene. No, 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 that made me laugh. I want that to stay exactly the same. Cause it, okay, in her defense, in her defense, I don't know what I'd say to that either. Actually, yes, I do. I'd be like, wow, I'm leaving. <laughs> awesome. See you later. <laughs> I'm scared of you. <laughs> Yeah, no. Back to your original question. I mean, I guess I would have made Judah a bit of more of an asshole. A little bit. Not a lot. Because you're right. Because again, it's from her perspective, so. Yeah, she can't think he's an she asshole yet. He's, right, at this stage, she's like, I love this man. And it's about falling into him. Because that's what the whole song really is about. Like, falling into somebody, I think. And yes. What I was trying to do is really capture that spirit of the song. And another thing that I struggled with very much is not being too sexual. (laughs) Well, I think if we're being honest, I think you succeeded. I did not read the words penis. I did not read anything being inserted into any orifices, wet, cold, or otherwise. Um, I got a sensual energy. Exactly. That's yes. That's what I was going for. Does I does I feel like the yes. song Willow itself? It's a sexy song, but it's not a sexy song. It's a sensual. No, song. it's 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 yeah. sensual. Yes, exactly. I I think you achieved that. I I was hot and bothered without being like, oh, wow, this is X-rated. Nope, sin, <laughs> sinning, bad. I'm going to pray 10 Hail Marys yeah. to feel better about reading this. No, I think this was the right amount of heat. Mm-hmm. Ha, ha, ha. Hey. A, the right amount of heat for this story. And in my opinion, also, as the listener slash reader, I think your story complements the song very well. I think you did capture the spirit of the song. I think you were able to evoke not just the sensuality, but the the witchy atmosphere, the the falling into somebody was very, very apparent in your story. But how well do you think your your finished story complements the um, song? You know, I think, I think I did a pretty good job overall. I s- captured the things I, the main things I set out to do in terms of channeling the song's energy into my story i'm a perfectionist so i'll never say that i'm completely satisfied with it and i do think there are things that i would have done differently and could have like made better sharper stronger in certain areas in terms of like marrying the song to the story 
But I do think I I was very proud of myself after I finished the story because I do honestly just for getting through. Getting through because it took me so long. I've been a crazy person sitting on my couch writing the story for like three days straight just trying to finish it. The main thing I wanted to be able to capture was that sort of like magical sensuality that's in Willow because that's what I love the most about that song is this kind of like powerful sensual energy that you know Taylor Swift just really captures and and I think I was a I, I think at least for me personally I was able to do that and I'm glad that it came through to you as well and I think it told Willow's story the way that I hoped it would I love Willow now she's my girl and I'm so sad that we've killed her yeah but doomed her to walking the earth as a rage fueled ghost of vengeance. I'm so sorry we did this to you. Another thing too when I was writing this story and then I'll I'll shut up cuz we need I really want to hear your fine. story and this is why I'm bringing this up is that as I was writing it I went through a lot of phases like emotional phases with Judah where I was like, "Oh, I love him, but I hate him because I know what he's done." Like, I'd be writing, I'd be like, oh, he's so, like, I'm so in love with him. Because I'm supposed to be in love with him as I'm writing this perspective. And I'd be like, and he's going to kill me. And I'm (laughs) I'm so angry. And I'm just like, how did you Uh... do this, Judah? How did you fuck this up? (laughs) Like, I get really mad, too. I was like, why am I this mad at a fictional character? Well, you (laughs) created him. You're living in her head. You're living in his head. Of course you're going to get emotional about it. Like, to me, that's just how it goes. That's just how writing is. I hope that my story, A, lives up to your expectations, B, is actually satisfying, uh, C... I'm sure it will be, but I'm sure I'm... You're going to hate him more, but also less, but Look, also more. I but feel also... like what I want is to, by the end of your story, be like, Judah about to catch these hands. Like, I I mean, yeah. I feel like I want to fight him. I already, I mean, I'm and starting that. with that energy. I like that about you. I like that energy. <laughs> Keep that energy up. Uh, I'm starting with this energy. Do, do you... Do... Do you want to read it now? Please. <laughs> please. Judah about to catch these hands. Judah about to catch these hands. So my story is called It Goes Before, which is a prequel to Last Time's Dust Devils. It Goes Before. The first time he sees her, Judah forgets how to breathe. It's the mass of curly auburn hair as it catches the light in her father's general store the flames of a campfire shining bright in the night. He wonders, almost as an afterthought, if whether or not he'd burn himself if he were to lay his hands upon it, and suddenly he wants nothing more than to find out. He's suddenly conscious of the fact that he's covered in dirt, having slept beneath the stars for days as he helped to drive his father's prized bulls into town for the auction today. He's ashamed of the mud on his boots, the splotches on his collar. He meets her honey-brown eyes and tells himself that she can't see it, that it doesn't matter, And he wonders just how good he is at lying to himself. Mr. Masterson? The woman asks, approaching the counter. As she passes him, Judas smells falling leaves and mulled wine. He's seen the leaves change only once, but he has never forgotten the bite of the breeze, the metallic taste of change, 
of something dying on his tongue. The air tastes like that now as he stands before her. Judah bows his head in a quick, respectful nod, though his gaze is wolfish and hungry. Yes, ma'am. I'm picking up some books I ordered three months ago. Should say they're from New York, his voice a little wistful. We've had your books for some time now, she says, her voice as sweet and rich as the wine he drinks at his father's table. Can't seem to find the time to get your parcels in a timely manner. These little things add up when you're trying to keep your space organized, you know. I'm not in town very often, ma'am, he says, smiling, but inside he burns with embarrassment. I'm only ever here when the cattle need to be sent to auction. I see, she murmurs, and after a pause she hands his books over to him. His fingers press against hers for an instant, but a current of electricity dashes between them. She straightens, smiles, her attitude emboldened. You know, I took a look at those books. Their covers were curious. You can read? Judah asks, more impressed than annoyed at her self-confessed snooping. The only other woman he ever met who could read was his mother. Even his wife couldn't read her own name. Certainly not whatever language that was, she says coyly. But the pictures were interesting. It's Greek, he says. My mother was a schoolteacher before she married my father. She taught me. He wonders why he's telling her this, this girl he had not seen until a few moments ago. He hadn't even known she existed, and he'd been visiting this town on his own for three years driving his daddy's cattle. He resists the urge to ask her for her name. Greek, she says, accepting this knowledge simply. I never saw it on paper before. One of the salesmen who drifts in every few weeks says he brings magical cures from ancient Greece, but the writing on his bottles never looked anything like the letters in them books. That man wouldn't know shit if he slipped in it and fell face first, Judah says, fighting the urge to spit on the wooden floor. He ain't nothing more than a calm man. Oh, I know, she says. I know. Ain't no such thing as magic. If you're dumb enough to believe it, you deserve what you get. And if it were real, you'd be a fool to play around with it. Judah's eyes grow sharper, more mischievous. You really think so? Play with fire, she says. And you get burned. How'd you get to be so wise, miss? She draws away from him as if deliberating her next move. She looks down at his shoes, then up at his eyes once more. She nods to his package. Like you, I'm sure. I'll read. She smiles to herself as he crosses the room and pushes open the door. Willow! She calls to him, and he freezes. My name is Willow. My name is Willow rings in Judah's ears all throughout the next month, as he leads his ranch hands back to his daddy's farm in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains, as he lies with his wife, as he eats at his father's table. My name is Willow, she whispers to him, while he wrangles young calves, while he shovels shit and feed long before the sun rises, while he gazes out into the sunrise and wonders what the hell he's still doing here. My name is Willow, she says, as he reads his books by moonlight, determined not only to play with fire, but to master it. He sneaks out to the hayloft in the dead of night and spills his own blood on the wooden floor, mingles it with the wax, and traces symbols in the dirt and calls on things that mortal men forgot how to summon long ago, just to prove that he can. Just to prove it to her. He even thinks for a moment that he can see her through the haze, when his wife Ivy stands before him in her nightgown and stares in horror at what he's done, though in truth he hasn't even started. It's not a small spell by any means, but Judah can do it, he knows. Not with his wife here. 
not with prying eyes that weep for your immortal soul when they have no idea what they cry for. Judah knows another thing as he stands and lets her beat her fists against his chest in anger. He knows he does not love his wife. He's known for a long time, though he tried to love her at first. She's a good woman who deserves better than him, who deserves to marry someone content to till the soil and care for the animals and doesn't long for civilization instead of trees and forests. He bears her no ill will, despite her small ways of testing the water, of pulling his strings. He doesn't even fight her when she tells him that he must, on pain of her telling his father what he's been up to at night in the barn, attend Sunday service with her. He doesn't do it to make her happy. He doesn't even care if his father knows about his books. He's just tired. Judah wants more than this, and he knows he will never be satisfied. All he wants is to know, he tells himself. He doesn't crave power. He doesn't wish to harm. He simply wants to know things, all things, as they are, to peel back the nature of life and death and the in-between. Knowledge cannot make a man a demon, he thinks, sitting in the bleached and splintered pews of the church, staring at the peeling and chipping white paint of the wooden walls at the simple cross on the wall above the preacher, who cries that rebellion is as the sin of divination and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Judah smirks at this, because currently he is king of nothing, king of shit, king of sitting and waiting for a life that's never going to come. He decides to add divination to his list of growing sins. Judah turns to gaze at his wife and sees the curly auburn hair of someone else and aches. Judah volunteers to go to town at every chance he can grab at, and his father lets him. It makes Ivy think he's changing for the better. It makes his father think that Judah seeks responsibility. Judah does not correct them. Instead, he rides to the town with every cattle ride, every auction, every time his father needs supplies they couldn't get in their own small outpost. Judah goes to the general store and watches the owner's daughter and burns with a passion he's never known. When Judah least expects it, she touches his hand or strokes fingers as she hands him his change or winks at him and fans the flames in his heart to a blaze. At first he tries to find a spell or a draught that would hide her beauty from him or make him forget her existence entirely. But upon finding the spell in question, he closes the book. Judah wants to see her again. He doesn't care about the consequences that man may choose to bestow upon his head. He wants to see her again. When he finally convinces Willow to sneak to meet him in the forest just outside of town, under the cover of night in a cloud of fireflies, he tells her what he is. He wants her to make her own choice. He tells her of his wife and of his aspirations, of his books and his passions. He tells her everything, and instead of saying one word, she kisses him there, under the pine boughs that loom over them like a cathedral, and they make love for the first time. When he is spent and holding her, stroking her auburn hair by the fireside, he asks her why she did it. She tells him he is dangerous, and that she would follow him anywhere. Even if it leads you to hell? Hell doesn't scare me, she tells him, and kisses him with all the fire inside her. Ivy does not question Judah's absence. It seems to Judah like she hardly notices he's gone. When Judah tells Willow about what he can do, he knows she does not believe him. This doesn't worry him in the slightest. She is intelligent, he knows that much, or he would not have gone to bed with her. She knows of Homer and Cato and Plutarch, 
of books he adores, and of thoughts and ideals that the people of his town and his house do not concern themselves with. Willow is his mirror, his equal. We're better than this, than them, he tells her once, though she does not reply. You are better. But his pride doesn't stop him from showing off. After they meet in their secret clearing, he shows her how to grow a flower from the palm of his hand, her favorite flower, but she smiles and compliments his trick. He shows her how to call a rattlesnake forth from the earth and have it become as docile as a cat, but she tells him that he can't scare her, that her daddy had showed her how to kill rattlesnakes when she was seven. He grabs the moon from the sky itself and hands it to her, says that it's hers for as long as she loves him, and she tosses it back into the night sky. I don't want the moon, she tells him. I want you. I'm still a married man, he sighs. You're mine in spirit, she says, as she traces her hands on the scars on his chest, from his father's whip and his father's bulls alike. There's nowhere you can go that I won't follow. There are places, he says. Home, for instance. Home is where you are, she insists, and shuts him up with kisses. He asks her, as he leaves the next morning, if she'd run away with him if he asked. She asks him where they would go, him with his wife and father at home and a ranch to run, she with her father's store. She asks him who he thinks he is to try to ruin something good with talk of the future. She asks him what magic he could perform that would let them be happy, ruining the lives of others along with their own. They fight about this for an hour or so, before Judah leaves to rejoin his real life. He kisses her once before he goes. She tells him all he has to do is say the word and she'd be at his side wherever they went. He had not asked to marry Ivy, but it had been his father's wish, and so he'd done it. He had not asked to run the ranch. He had wanted to go away like his mother wanted for him, to school in the east, but his father had refused. Now Judah tells himself what he is doing is not wrong. He is taking what is his. He has waited long enough. Ivy will understand, he tells himself. She can't be happy with me. Father will take care of her. If I break the news to her, she'll take care of herself. But he doesn't get the chance. Ivy comes to meet him on the porch as he rides in, tired from the journey. There's steel in her eyes as she gazes down at him, and he wonders what he's done to deserve this ire, what his father must have told her. Before he can say a word as he dismounts, she whispers, all steel, all cold, that she knows. Know what? he asks. But he regrets it as the venom pours forth from her mouth. She tells him he's a fiend, a devil, and that Willow is a whore. He feels the heat in his face, and he almost reacts when he realizes that Ivy is playing on his pride. She wants him to react, to yell, to fight, because if they fight then and there on the porch, their marriage means something. He exhales and lets his anger go. I wanted to tell you myself, he says. I want to make sure you're taken care of once I... You aren't leaving me, Judah, she says. We made vows before God. My father will look after you well enough. The ranch is yours. I don't want it. And I took my vow seriously. I will not let some Jezebel... It's my life, Ivy. I'm going. It's time. You don't get to decide that, Ivy shouts. And for a moment, Judah almost feels something for her that isn't pity. Her cheeks are flushed. 
Her hair comes slightly askew, and her eyes are red. You're a smart man, Judah Masterson, but you are not above the natural law, or anything, or anybody else. Except, he says, leaning in close, I am. She grabs his arm as he tries to leave. If you go, she says, her voice hushed, if you go, I'll tell the pastor what you did in the barn. What I saw you call from the floorboards. If you go, I'll tell them what you are, and they'll burn you as a witch, and your father will be the first to light the pyre. Judah stops, suddenly feeling cold in the center of his chest. He doesn't say anything. I don't care how, Ivy says, still not looking at him, but out at the horizon. But I know you can do it. Make it so you never see her again, not while she lives, not for years after that. I'll need your help, he says. Oh, the great Judah needs assistance. I need your intent for it to work, he says, because it isn't something I want. She agrees. Before he performs the ritual, he drinks hard, drinks to forget, to be as blind as he can be when he cuts Willow from his own heart. The wine does not sterilize him as he'd hoped, but makes him rage. It makes him sloppy. He has Ivy bring him a dress of the brightest red that he will send to Willow as a gift that will wipe him from her memory once she puts it on. The thought of this destroys him. Judah doesn't care about the wards he needs to draw to protect himself from the spell backfiring. He doesn't care if he gets hurt for what he's about to do. He doesn't care at all. He does what he needs to do. Judah sits in the burnt embers of his ruined home, frozen to the spot. The last three days are a blur to him. He remembers the spell. He remembers sending someone to deliver the dress. He remembers the feeling in his guts that he had doomed himself to a lonely and miserable life. Yesterday, his wife had suddenly remembered she had taken off her wedding ring for the ritual, feeling as if the act were so unholy but she didn't want it tainting their marriage. Yesterday, she put the ring back on her finger. Yesterday, he realized that what Ivy had truly wanted was not for Willow to forget about him at all. He couldn't save Ivy, even though he'd tried. He lets his fingers trace endlessly in the ashes of his house. He wonders absentmindedly where the bones of his father and wife now sit amidst the wreckage. He wonders why, of all things, Ivy chose fire. Perhaps it was the cleansing fires of righteousness that burned in her. He'd never known now. He wonders what he will do with nothing left to him. He wonders how Willow must have felt. He closes his eyes. The cool of the breeze stings the burns on his forearms from where Ivy grabbed him. He relishes the pain that he knows, deep down, he deserves. He doesn't move when he senses the presence watching him. He knows that if he turns around, he won't be able to see her anyway. Not for years after, Ivy had said. Judah thinks of all the things he wants to say and beg and do to get her to forgive him. And he tells himself that she will, that she has to, that she loves him. He wonders just how good he is at lying to himself. The end. Mm. Mm. <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> I'm mad because I'm not mad. Yeah. 
like I feel so I feel bad for him. I feel bad for him. I do. I yeah. do. But also fuck him. And I, like yeah. Oh no. Oh no. No. Why? 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 Because fuck the no. world. That's why. Because- okay, well, your I your story was very good. I'm very happy I finally got to experience it because I'm I'm really glad to see how much he loved her. That warms my heart. Every time he was thinking about her, I was just like, ah, they could have been so happy together. If things were different, it could have been beautiful. And then he fucks it up. He fucks yeah. it up. He could have he could have just owned up to it and been like, I'm gonna call your bluff and I'm leaving town right now. He could have done anything else but his cowardice his cowardice ultimately went out you could have let ivy just do it i mean why not he was leaving town anyway yeah yeah i think the threat i think the threat of like oh i'm gonna turn everybody against you and i think that freaked him out because i think i mean he he's a daddy's boy in a weird way like he hates it but he does it anyway he's probably like oh i gotta but but also, you didn't have to. You didn't, didn't have to have do these to. things. Really didn't. He could have. He woke up and chose violence. I don't like. He woke up and I chose just, violence. I don't. So sad. I have to say, I really thoroughly enjoyed Ivy and uh, like as a character. So that yeah. was fun. And yeah. Oh, it's so interesting to get to the side of the story now. And yeah. It's also interesting to compare how. Uh, how our scenes are different. But I, it was, you know, it was funny because it was like we had our like initial meeting scenes and the like scene in the forest where he's showing her magic. They're different, but I, I feel like I liked both our, our takes on them. I thoroughly enjoyed yes. reading the way you wrote yours and I was like, oh, that's good. I like that. <laughs> I, I think too, in a way, we could attribute it as to like what people mm-hmm. remember. Right? So, like, what Willow would have ingrained in our head versus, like, what he would have Mm -hmm. in his head where he's just like, oh, God, I'm just staring at her. Oh, God, she's so pretty. Oh, God, well, fuck. (laughs) And he's... (laughs) And Willow's like, oh, yeah, he's kind of cute. He's, like, he's able to carry on a conversation with me. Like, the, the balance where she's paying more attention to, like, who he is in a weird way and he's in a way contextualizing... Her in regards to himself, in a, a way. It's a Judah thing to do. It's a Judah thing to um, do. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. This was. God. This is just fun. I I love Willow and Judah. They're yeah. so fun. They live in right. They so they so do. So I do want to know. I I feel like I picked up on certain moments and like lines from the song that kind of made their way into your story. But I'm very curious because we talked about this earlier. You know, Willow, the song is very much like it seems like a Willow character song. Like it sounds like it's her singing the song. It's very much from her perspective. So, how was it for you trying to use that song as an inspiration for this story? I admit uh, I struggled at first because it very much is her story, like her song. 
So this was not like the original first half of this because I got halfway through before I trashed it and I was like, I'm approaching this the completely wrong way. I had I had to sort of <laughs> pull a Judah <laughs> and make it, what if it's about me? Like, how can I make your emotions about me? Which, <laughs> and by me, I mean Judah. And it, it, it was, that was how I did it. Or I realized, because I, I didn't write it in his, in the first person before or in present tense. And I realized that that's kind of how he lives his life. Or he, or at least at this stage in his life, this is how he's living. This is present tense. How is it relating to me? And once I figured that out, then all I had to do was put Willow on repeat until I got <laughs> sick of it. <laughs> and then just write it out. Uh, I, I think the line, wherever you stray, I'll follow was a very big influence too because again what does judah want to do he wants to run away from home he wants to to delve into the darker side of things and you know his whole thing of you know what if what if i lead you to hell and she's like oh it's fine because <laughs> i also wanted that to be for her to be like you idiot you overdramatic buffoon i don't need this melodrama we're having sex in the forest we don't need this sir <laughs> Like, Pam, you already got me here. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Uh, and I think, too, is that the song is dramatic. The song is very dramatic. The music video is dramatic. And I think I took inspiration from both, where it's it's playing up the drama of falling for somebody. And for Judah, like, I, I wanted this to be life and death for him. I wanted this love affair to be the air that he breathes. So <laughs> I think... I, th I think that that, towards the end of the song, I kind of got that vibe. We're like, wow, this is, you're my everything. And for him, I wanted that to be, like, the main cornerstone of, like, oh, wow, you're everything I want, ever. Yeah. Bites him in the ass, because he's a coward, because ultimately he doesn't even live up to what he was asking her to do, for him. So, it's like, what if, what if it were Willow, <laughs> but wrong? <laughs> yeah, and... You know, you, there. I liked what you said about, you know, like, it being your everything. Like, the song kind of bringing that out. Just, like, I think that's a really good way to sum up the end of that song. You know, by the time it gets to the end of the song, you know, Taylor Swift, she's, like, saying those last few lines over and over and over again. And it does, it evokes that vibe of, you know, the kind of, like, obsessive nature you can kind of have with someone where it's, like, all you think about and you're just stuck yep. in it you're like you just want it to go on forever and i think that is very apparent in your story because he's just thinking about her all the time and that's what surprises me about your story i guess from my perspective i guess i don't really think about like oh like how does judah really feel about her but to have him just be like oh my god she's fucking amazing like, Jesus yeah. Christ, she's so smart. She's so beautiful. Holy shit. Oh, God, she touched me. <laughs> she can read. My wife can't read. My wife can't write her name. I, I just, I loved that for Judah. It was such a, it, it like humanized him, which I liked a lot. Because in my head, I feel like I didn't. Yeah. In my head, I hated him. I'll be. <laughs> <laughs> You had to. That's the, I had to write from the, the perspective of Team Judah, where I had to take into account that he's a very flawed man. Don't yeah. get me wrong. He kills yeah. her. <laughs> Unintentionally. 
But he did seek out to, like, bewitch her. He did seek out to be a coward and, like, kowtow to the whims of Ivy and the threat of his father instead of just being a man about it and, like, saying, no, I've chosen this. I'm gonna own up to my choices. Have fun! Yeah, I had to humanize him because I wasn't gonna like him otherwise. <laughs> I wasn't gonna care about him if I didn't humanize him a yeah, little bit. Yeah, no. Um, I, I definitely think you did a really good job of making him relatable, um, which is not always easy to do with a person like Judah, who's supposed to be kind of like a, I'm better than everyone. <laughs> yeah, that's the th- like you, I had to tap into that part of me from like twelfth, not twelfth grade. Uh, I was gonna say middle school. So <laughs> we're like, I'm better than everyone because I'm smart, and <laughs> and you get a little older and you realize, yeah. ooh. That wasn't a good mindset to have. But, like, we've, in a way, a lot of us mm-hmm. have been there where we all think, oh, yes, I'm, because, like, people tell you things, oh, your bully's gonna be working for you one day. So you get this overinflated <laughs> sense of self where, oh, I deserve it because I'm smarter. And it's like, no, you don't. No, you don't, Judah. So I, I had to tap into that where it's like, what if he just never outgrew that? <laughs> he just stayed in that energy his entire life. Which, listen. If you're resentful of the world, and if your dead mom was the one who probably bolstered that up, because I, I wanted to hint at, like, you know, she did, she wanted more for him, and he loved his mom, and and I almost wrote something along the lines of where she was redheaded, too, and I was like, yeah, that's weird, we're no. not gonna go there. <laughs> no. <laughs> I wanted him to, to have the chance to go, oh, I was wrong, I was so wrong. Oh, no. Because I think that's where we are by the time we hit Dust Devils, right? Uh, Judah's um, in his 40s by that point, and he's just like, I'm in a hell of my own making. And he's just like, he's learned to live with it. Versus this, where he's I thought I was okay. I thought this was fine. Mommy! That's what I wanted for him. That's how I tapped into that. I was just like, well, how would I have acted at the age of 12? That's too funny. I, I mean, I can relate. We all go through that phase, like you said. So you mentioned that you rewrote this, like you started and then like had to throw out like this. So like, I guess the question is, what happened? What about it did you struggle with in the writing process? At first I got way too hung up on him sitting in a church and getting lectured. Originally that was the first scene where he's getting lectured and his wife is there And it was going to be, I was going to like space out a bunch of sermons that related to where he was in the story to make it relevant. And uh, like the big theme of it, right, was pride because he's a very prideful person. And at one point I was, uh, it got to be so overwhelming with me Googling Bible verses (laughs) regarding pride. I was like, I can't, this is distracting me. from the writing process. This is not the point. This is not the point of the story. I ended up scrapping that. I kept the one scene because I think it was important for Ivy to drag him to church because he summoned a literal demon from the floorboards. And if I were married to him, I'd be like, you're going to church with me. So I thought one of them would be good because I want him to have this argument, right? Where he's like, you know, fuck it. I'm better than the natural law. I'm better than all of this, right? Because it's he's pride is his biggest problem but then i was like okay no but what's the story about the story because like it's not about just him it's about him in context with willow and falling in love with willow like willow is the inciting force in his life 
and and all of what follows. Like, he only screws up this badly because he falls for Willow. And when I decided that, yes, his love is real, and it's not just, I'm a... I'm a fuck boy having a good time. Like, cause I had to make that choice where I was like, is it real or is it a good time? Yeah. Is it escapism? And I wanted it to be real because I said so. So that helped me reframe it, which is why it opens with him in the general store instead of the church and why he talks to her and why he's like, Oh God, I'm, I'm a person. Oh no. And, and he, and he's realizing this. So, so the point of like the, like the title Right? It goes before. Is it pride goes before oh, the fall? Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So that's what I wanted it to be, where, like, he's grappling with this, but it's it's going to be way more subtle than me hammering in five different church <laughs> sermons that I didn't want to write after two minutes. They perform an exorcism on him. <laughs> Power of Christ compels you. Yeah. Okay. It, you know, it's fun. It's interesting because I do like the initial direction that you were considering. Like in some ways, like I think it could be really, really well done. But I also, I also like what you chose to do instead, and I think it fits. I think it fits much more with the song too. I agree. This, I think, really contextualizing it in the relationship and this like sensual like hold that the they both have on each other like at the end of the day yeah i'm thinking about something yeah. that i we had talked about as we were sort of developing all this uh, all these stories this sort of elemental play that we've got going on with fire and air willow very much being this fire kind of fiery person whereas judah is this kind of wafty lofty air goes wherever the wind kind of takes him what does air do to fire like them coming together like literally it blows up in their faces yep they they feed on each other until it gets too much and then they yeah kill and each other. i feel like that really really comes across with your story really which is good and i like that a lot i like this sort of dynamic that these two have back to the song though i am yes. curious to know now that we've like read through your story and everything and like again i i feel like i could see a lot of areas where you kind of like let the song really shine through but how do you feel you did in terms of capturing the element of the song i really struggled with it at f like i said at first it was really hard incorporating the song because again it's just 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 such a willow song sometimes i wonder how well i did in regards to relating it to the song honestly sometimes i was like oh i feel like i've departed from it a little bit but i think in the moments where he's with her mm -hmm. especially i think in the moments where he's trying to charm her and to lead him with her when he's being candid when he's being himself and he's not trying to show off he's mm -hmm. just being him i think that's probably where i got the closest to the song and the, the song's energy. It, again, it helps that after a while I just had this song on repeat and I didn't turn it off until I was done. I was just like, this is white noise now. <laughs> you just like, it enmeshed in your brain and you just channeled it. Yeah. I, I, that, that's what I had to do because again, I was, I was struggling with making a story about him with a song that's mm -hmm. so her. So it, it was yeah. the... Uh, 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 fit together 
But I, I think in the moments where he was like himself, where he was just vulnerable, that was probably the closest I got to the yeah. song. I think yeah. you did a really good job. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, like, it's okay. At the end of the day, it's just about what we were inspired to do. And yes. like, I think you succeeded in really kind of bringing, I think what you really bring out of the song, you know, I think like with my story a lot of it was like the atmosphere and vibe but i think you really get to the actual lyrical like component of the song really well in your story like i think uh, beyond just lines that you incorporated i think just from what is actually being said like i think you get you get a good sense of that reading your story oh thank I you thoroughly enjoyed that i guess the question that we both should ask ourselves now that we both know the respective sides of our story is how did they work how well did, did they, they mesh do we feel like um they you know what i do i do think that they worked i think that they complemented each other pretty well because i think that they both I, I kind of mentioned this before, but I think that they were representative of, like, what each character focused on in mm-hmm. their own heads, right? Willow was focusing a little bit more on, like, the details and the aspects of it and the, the, the process of falling mm-hmm. for somebody. Versus Judah, who is thinking about a generalized picture and also dealing with the fact that he's got a wife at home. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, Willow didn't have to deal with that side of his drama until the very end where it bit her in the ass. And that was the other thing too where like he has to pick up the pieces at the end. Like he's left sitting there like uh oh. Yeah. And I I know that like that kicks everything off for him and for her and I realized as I was writing it I was like oh there's a plot hole. He can see her in Dust Devils. He can interact with her in Dust Devils. So I had to like write lines that like specified that that will change. Mm -hmm. But I think they were two sides of the same coin, our stories. And I think they were inspired by different aspects of the song, but that they came together to tell mm-hmm. the two halves very well. I think I think that's my takeaway from it at least. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, I mean I think I agree with you. I think we I think they complemented each other well. I kind of mentioned before, like, you know, when we when we write these, we don't necessarily, like, go in it with the, like, frame of mind where they have to be exact one-to-one, like, have to work, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But they should be very, like, they should complement each other. Like, and I think we did very, I think we did very well there. And I think they both encompass the, like, nature of the song and what we gravitate towards within the song and i'm i'm really proud of us for taking this on personally because you know i don't think either one of us thought that our willow and judah characters would live beyond first iteration of them and um cat clyde but i'm glad we continued their story because i think it just it's such an interesting one for me personally and i'm sure you feel the same way now living in judah's head i liked this a lot and i really like i really 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 yeah i thought i thought we did a good job yeah I'm glad they became people. Yeah. Because I think, I think in the first iteration of them, we were just really happy to play with concepts. And I think the concept of like, oh, a poltergeist. Like, why is this poltergeist upset? Oh, killed by her lover? That's weird. And, and I think we got to like, you got to play with emotion, but it was, it was like, in theory, this is what would happen. And I got to play with, in theory, what would a cowboy yeah. exorcist look like? What would, a, what would a cowboy exorcist day in the life look like? That's an interesting concept. And then we took them 
and we made them mm-hmm. people with like real thoughts and feelings and hopes and dreams and then we got to throw them all away and break their hearts and which made it more real and i think that if you go back and you re-listen or reread those other stories with the added context now of what we've done here it becomes 10 right. times worse so where you're just worse. like ah. don't you know where it's going you're like oh no it really was such an experience having to like write this knowing it's at that it's doomed it's doomed you're building up this relationship just to doom it i I will say i do have a follow-up question that i'm very curious on your perspective on and it's kind of more of less just an abstract conjecture question but like do you think there's any redemption for the two of them oh like as a couple like rekindle any of those feelings or are they completely doomed forever oh he he will love her till the day he dies that's his problem. The only thing that's stopping him probably from just letting her kill him, because if you remember, like, if for, for those of you who've forgotten, she is a poltergeist, can kill him, and she's the only thing that he actually is afraid of. I think the only thing keeping him from not letting her end him right then and there is that she'll either be alone or be damned, and it'll have been his fault. And I think the only way he can progress as if he can help either free her or do something like a take her place kind of a thing because he sees what she is now and he sees what she's become now and he knows it's his fault he doesn't want that for her you know he jokes about this like the thing well what if you follow me into hell she's in hell right now living out this hell and he hates that because he's in a hell but it's different because he thinks he belongs there So could they be happy, perhaps in the afterlife, if he does something to get through to her? Because she is such an all-consuming ball of fiery rage, right? If he can just get through to her (laughs) or do something that proves he didn't mean it, maybe, or like that, that it was an accident... I don't know, because, like, even though it was an accident, he did mean to do something to her. It would have to be very, very big. I want there to be redemption for them. I want them to be happy because because now they're people. Now they're, like, if you had asked me this at the end of the Cat Clyde one, I would have been like, ha, hell no. But now I want that for them. I want them to heal. It's just going to be difficult, like, really, really difficult, because he also has to forgive himself. We keep ourselves in hell, right? You could yeah. walk out. But you won't, because Mm -hmm. you think you deserve to be there. And to an extent, he does. But he has to forgive himself, and he has to, besides that, do something to make up for it. So, who knows? Maybe if we find out what that something is, we can tell that story. I don't know what that something is. I want them to be together. I want them to be happy. Hell, I want them to be ghosts and be happy. Which gives me an idea. But... What do you think? Do you think I can be happy? I want that for them, too, so much. And, you know, I I do have to say that even though, like, the poltergeist Willow in my story, like, she's definitely rage and anger, I think there's a part of me that, like, and I think maybe even as I was writing it, but I feel like there's a part of me that, like, wants her to, like, still be there enough to pull her punches, so to speak. There's a part of me that wants her to, you know, she'll do everything just shy of killing him. 
because at the end of the day, there's still that tiny kernel of human willow that just loves him so much that she can't do it completely. And I want that because I want there to be hope for them. I want there to be a chance that he can either bring her back or he can find a way to, you know, so they can be together, make her not a poltergeist, and just be like a happy spirit that follows him around at least. Yeah. Casper yeah. the friendly ghost or some shit. Nice. You know? <laughs> like, something. I want there to be something that can happen to make sure that they're happy and in love together because they they didn't deserve what we did to them. <laughs> yeah. Do you really get to condemn yourself to a life of hermitude uh, trying to fix what you've done just because you were a bit of a douche about being able to read? <laughs> Do you deserve hell on earth just because you slept with a married man? No. Like, I mean, I guess listeners can chime in. Yeah. <laughs> if you think they deserve, can. if you think they deserve what they got, drop a like in the. Yeah. <laughs> Leave us a comment being like, "Yeah, fuck them. Yeah. They deserve it." I don't. Yeah. I don't think they. I think they've already hurt themselves enough. <laughs> I want to see old man Judah like fix this. He'll be like an old eighty-year-old man, and he'll finally get it. And they'll finally be happy. Yeah. Or they could be ghosts together. That's what I'm saying. They could be happy as ghosts together. Living in, I don't know, maybe the forest. Maybe the forest. Forget me. I've hurt my own feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I liked revisiting well, them, though. I'm happy that we did this. Me too. I thoroughly enjoyed this experience, which is funny to say, considering it took me so You long. agonized! I agonized over this story, but I love them so much. Yeah. This is why I write, guys. Yeah. To put myself through pain and torment, and then the high of creating these beautiful, beautiful characters that I love so dearly and condemn to Hell. lives of sadness and misery but that being said any final thoughts now before we wrap it up about the song uh, about our stories i feel like i'm glad we on a journey i'm glad we did it although there were times when i was doing it where i was like god damn it i wish we weren't doing it <laughs> but like i'm really glad we did it in retrospect i'm really glad that we were able to flesh them out more i think their story was worth telling that's that's it my final thought. Yeah. I think their story was worth telling too. And I gotta say I've got a lot of gratitude to Taylor Swift for writing this song and putting it out. Because it really was just a serendipitous like wonder of yeah. a song to just come out and be like, oh my god. Yeah, because we weren't going to do this. We were not going to do a part two. This wasn't yeah. going to happen. This was not planned. Yeah. It was, it, Taylor Swift wanted us to write more. Somehow. That's what she wanted. Some way. In the universe. It all connected. Listen, she wrote a song called Cowboy Like Me. She knew what she was doing. <laughs> she doesn't know us, but she knew. Psychic vibrations <laughs> traveled through the air. The vibes. The vibes. You know, 
Thank you, T-Swift. That's all I have to say. Alright, well, now that we've done the damn thing, all that's left to do is give a big thank you, listeners, for listening to this week's episode of Rhapsody in Reverie. If you like what you heard, why don't you like us and follow us on the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We are at Rhapsody and Reverie Podcast on Facebook and at Rhapsody Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Shout us out. Give us comments. Let us know what you're feeling. We love to hear it. If you also want more fun stuff from us that the rest of the world doesn't get to see, like our fun live reactions to our stories, you can also join our Patreon community. Join the fam. We'd love to have you. You get access to all cool kinds of stuff. You get to see me doing this. Exactly. Which nobody actually wants to see. But (laughs) I'm doing it anyway. Yeah, she's doing it. I'm seeing it. (laughs) That's all I'll say about that. Uh, Wow. Yeah, if you're interested... Uh, join the Patreon community at patreon.com slash podcast. And if you're not interested, that's fine. Live your life. I feel you. But I think it's pretty cool. If you want uh, more episodes from us, make sure you're subscribed to us on iTunes, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. You will find us there. Probably, unless there's some weird app on the dark net that i don't know about but anyway (laughs) anyway uh we'd love to have you on our journey with us as we release more fun stories inspired by songs that we love check us out also be sure to check the website for announcements rhapsodyandreverie.com every time we upload new episodes or do all kinds of fun stuff we post about it on that website so check it out also Um, transcripts also transcripts if you want a transcript it is there on the website and the show notes are there it's all for you mazel tov that was good that was good uh, we did it we did we did it are we willow and it. judah done only time will tell who knows the mysteries of life but be sure to tune in again in a couple of weeks because remember we are now bi-weekly we are not a weekly podcast anymore because this is so much harder to do but tune in again next time for another great story inspired by another killer song that we both love we have been rhapsody and reverie <laughs> i can see the wheels turning in your brain katarina katarina and adrian signing off from the desert uh, of colorado of Col- si- signing off from the forest peace out cowboy <laughs>